every great dream begins with dreamers. Tom and Steve are strangers in a strange land. Join them on the journey from ignorance to knowledge, one book at a time, one chapter at a time. All aboard the Blunderground Railroad. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Blunderground Railroad. I am Tom Smith and my partner in crime. How you doing? Stephen Hart. Stephen Hart. Wow, we are working our way through Notes from Underground, Freudor Dostoevsky, chapter number eight in part number two. Woo! If you were with us for part number, uh, for the last one, uh, part number seven, you know that uh, we're, we're now done. There's the underground man, his exploits, right? Yeah, his little expedition. Yeah, oh. yeah. This is his little uh, <laughs> expedition into the real world. Because right? we're all, it's interesting. We're all looking back on this now. I mean, in, the, in this chapter, it's like this whole experience is like he's looking back over this like 15 years, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I think he gives the impression that it's been, it's like two years, like between the beginning and the end of the chapter. Oh, you definitely don't know it's 15 years until it explicitly says 15 years. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, you know, whenever they start talking about dates and years, it just gives like this, you you feel a bit unmoored, you know? Like, when you're in part number one, the underground man is in his own mind, and he is he is he's hammered there. Like, it's it's secure. I mean, by the time you get to the end of part one, you feel like, wow, I feel like, you feel like kind of like, oh, uh, uh, I have an idea what's going on. Like, you almost respect the underground man. You almost have this clear line of logic that exists in his brain. And time doesn't exist in the first part either, mm-hmm. with the exception of saying how long he was in the service. So you just sort of imagine, you know, this yeah. late 20, early 30-something guy, right? you know, sitting there giving you a half-hour lecture on what he thinks. Exactly. By the time you're done reading, and I don't know, maybe there's just sort of a, some assumption made. I think that there is, uh, you know. That same assumption was made for me here until the 15-year part. I'm like, what did I just read? Mm, I know, I know. <laughs> you get a couple chapters into part number two, and I feel completely unmoored, you know. Mm-hmm. I feel just disconnected because I, I don't know where we're coming from. Like, are we, we're looking back over 15 years. Oh, it's like two years. So we have two, uh, we have effectively two events in this chapter, right? We have... The underground man, he, you know, he starts off by writing this letter, and then he pines over Lisa, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's there's like this running argument with his servant. So I have to ask: Is, is it these are like years? These are years. Well, in the very beginning of the letter, it's not years. He says it was some time, however, before I consented to recognize that truth, which is just summing up the the uh, sentence from the last sentence from the the last chapter. But then he says, waking up in the morning after some hours of heavy laden sleep. Right. Seems like he just wrote it like the very next morning, like in his stupor. Well, I think he kind of did. You see, the letter, I think, happens immediately after the stupor. But then there's this whole process with Lisa that lingers on. And it's like lingers on for like a year. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, because he talks in the chapter about, uh, you know, seven o'clock and he starts imagining that there's this whole time period. He has to worry every day and he doesn't want to worry, but then he kind of does. And right. Like this is, these are months, and this is a year, like every day you're kind of worried about it. Uh, but it's interesting, this letter, though, we do, we have this letter at the very beginning, uh, and he composes this letter because he's very concerned with Zerkoff. It, it's interesting that the underground man 
become satisfied with this letter, but it's not the truth. I mean, he blatantly lies in the letter. Uh, and I think this is something that you and I kind of picked a, a little bit up on in the first part. This whole narrative versus reality. Mm-hmm. You know, that the the man of consciousness kind of lives a little bit with this narrative because he's constructing these narratives in his mind. And so the, the, the man of action is, is living life. I mean, he's, you know, I hit rock, rock break in half, you know, me strong, right? So it's kind of like this determination, this, this real action, whereas the man of consciousness is just kind of comparing all these narratives he's constructing these po- out of the possibilities in his mind. So when the underground man goes to write down this letter, you know, he, he, I think he talks about the wine, right? He says that he got drunk. Yep. Right before. Yeah, he he said, "Oh, I, I'm sorry. You know, I got drunk before you all got here." Like he made an excuse for as to why he was that way. He he just thought of any reason in his mind that he could think of that he could play off why it happened, other than having to admit to them, like, "Yeah, I know I'm kind of socially awkward. My bad." Yeah. Yeah. No. Yep. Right. And the first thing he was concerned about was the money, so he borrows that money. That's right. Off of uh, Anton. Right, but that's really exactly right, and the line doesn't start with the letter. The line actually starts with the, the this, you know, and it is a lie. But it's this, it's this narrative that the underground man is is constructing for himself. You know? How can I get back to what I wanted them to think I was? Right, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, right, pretty much, because you know when he's he's talking to Anton, right? He's getting these fifteen rubles, and he he's constructing this this version of events, right? He says, oh, uh, uh, you know, he, he talks about. Um, he says, uh, I've been keeping up with some friends at the Hotel de Paris. We were giving a farewell party to a comrade. Yeah. In fact, I might say a friend from my childhood. And you know, a desperate rake, fearfully spoiled, of course. He belongs to a good family and has considerate means, a brilliant career. He's witty, he's charming, a regular lovelace, you understand. We drank an extra half dozen, right? I mean, he's going on and on. Yeah, he makes it sound like this, you know. Yeah, it's just this normal thing we went and did for this guy. And- right. Yeah, here's how this guy was. Let's take the focus off me. <laughs> right, right. No, exactly, exactly. And I, I think that I think the two things that jumped out for me, at least, is so. Number one would be uh, so. The first would be that um, like a reaction. Okay, so like a reaction to humiliation. Right, the underground man. We can see. You know, from his own admission in part one, but also from the story in part two, there's a lot of humiliation going on in the underground man's life. And no one is exempt from that. I mean, I've been humiliated, and I'm, I'm you have as well. And I think everybody I know at least has, has experienced that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's that part of kind of part of maturity. But this is how the underground man is, is dealing with this humiliation. He, he, he doesn't deal with it. It's, it's, it's this avoidance, right? It's like this avoidance or this denial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the easy way out. Right. Yeah. And what what I find is interesting, because I, I always like to kind of draw this parallel, right? Underground to blunderground, right? So from the 19th century all the way into the 21st century, that we see this, and again, I always point it back to social media, right? What people do on social media. Because the underground man is painting this narrative, and this narrative is not real life, but he's painting this narrative. And so uh, he paints it with, with uh, with Anton, and then well, t- talking uh, uh, to him, and then he paints it in a letter. Mm-hmm. And at the letter, by the end of the time he gets to the end of the letter, he's so pleased with himself. 
Yeah, he he's content. Like, yeah, that that did it. Um, yeah, good to, we're good to go now. Right, pretty but, much. But in his own mind, yes, he, that's right. He yet again ascribes his own feelings and views to someone else. He's like, yeah, they'll, this is how I take it. So of course they're gonna see it exactly the same way. Right, not exactly. And you know, I think one of the things about having that to the man of consciousness within his own mind, but also in social media, it is the the abstract comparison of a narrative, okay? When you're creating narratives in your life and your life is full of narratives, then you're constantly drawing you're constantly drawing the, these areas of inference between the narratives. So, uh, for example, um, you know, we see this in, in political arguments that happens between the left and the right, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the, the person on the right will say something to the person on the left, and the person on the left will say, well, what you really mean to say is X, Y, Z. And then the person on the right, no, that's not what I mean to say. Well, then how could you possibly believe M, Y, Z, you know. <laughs> and so then you get into these areas. What you're doing is creating these compare these competing narratives Yep. So when somebody calls you out on the narrative, say, for example, it's a man of action and they're trying to call you out on something concrete or they're trying to get you down on a certain opinion, you can always draw this distinction between the narratives, create this confusion, and then that allows you to create new narratives and you're just kind of introducing chaos like this. You're like, kind of like you have these you have like these these competing narratives that you're putting out there. OK, so when it comes to creating narratives um sure i guess if you're if you're young you know on social media or if you're if you're young at all really any any means you have to do so sure you you try to create this image of you know who you really want to be mm. but at some point it, yeah. for me i don't even remember when this was this was long ago mm. uh i believe it was during the military at some point i just don't i i couldn't tell you the date okay sure but i came to a level where i was like why do i care what people think of me am i gonna am i gonna struggle my whole life to be somebody i'm not right and i just didn't care like, you know, I've realized I'm an adult. Am I going to get grounded? Like, if I say something to somebody that they don't like? No. I mean, apparently, uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> later on in the chapter, we find out you can, uh, someone can go to the police on you for just being offensive, apparently. Right. There you I, go. I was like, what? But, sure. but, but that's, you know, that's not a reality. Sure. You can think what you want. You can say what you want. And it doesn't matter to who you say it. They put their pants on the exact same way as you. Mm-hmm. But we have this thing in our society where... If somebody's in a position, you just, well, they're above reproach. You can't say anything to them. Well, I, I don't ascribe to that. Yeah. You know, guess what? I bet you've worn your pajamas on a weekday at some point, too, in the middle of the day. So I don't want to hear it, man. I don't. You right. know? Um, so, yeah, we do. We, ha- we have narratives. And, and I, 90% of the population buys into having to create one of those because you go on Facebook and what do you see? Yeah. All the best parts of people's lives. Yep. And I'm not saying, like, everybody puts only that stuff on there to create a narrative, but 90% of them do. Because, you know, even people that aren't doing that just to be fake, um, you know, why Like, why would you want to bring other people down by sharing some drama crap on there? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. that's just, it's pointless anyway. So, but yeah, 90% of it is people that, you know, they they feel some sort of justification by like, oh, this is this is what I, I am, guys. Look, look who I am. Which is exactly what that letter to him did. You know, yeah. The thing about the underground man is that he's never had. There's no indication in the book, anyhow, that he's ever had a, an actual, real relationship with anybody. No, I, I, I would guarantee that that's the case because you don't just wind up how he was, right? If like previously things were normal, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. No, it's, it's true. Yeah. Um. So there's this. 
there there's really there's no authentic there's no authentic relationship there and so like the narrative has overtaken this the narrative has overtaken any sense of 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 of, of anything real or concrete you know and, and i think between you Dostoevsky's trying to draw this this comparison, right, between the man of action, the man of consciousness, and the man of action. You know, they're it, it, friendships are never they're never perfect, right? They're full of the good, the bad. We have the ugly. I mean, they're full of their ups and downs. Every relationship, every relationship is marriage, right? Sure. And and so there's so many different, so many different, uh, so many different things that we can see in our modern society, and then that that I see that jump off the page when you, you read a, something like this. For example, uh, you know, uh, currently marriage rates, marriage rates are at an all-time low. And one of the reasons why people speculate why that might be is because people uh, personify this expectation onto marriage that it's going to mm. make me happy and that it's going to provide joy that's going to last me the rest of my life that it's going to make me feel like I've arrived that I've actually you know I've actually gotten to the end and now this is the point where I get the gold medal and I get the gold star on the forehead you know yeah. so people think that they, they, they project this onto uh, onto the institution yes. and then you know 10 years in they're like oh this is nothing like it's supposed to be so it must be <laughs> wrong and so then they, they get rid of it right or, for example, with a career or a job. You know, or a house. A house. The American dream. There you go. There's another one, right? <laughs> Wait till your furnace goes. Sure, <laughs> You'd right, be like, yeah. where's my apartment? <laughs> right, yeah. No, it's true. The American dream is another good one. Um, you know, I oftentimes look at it in terms of a career or a job. You know, people say, well, you know, one day I'm going to quit this. Uh, I'm going to quit this popsicle stand, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go work at my dream job, you know? And it's, it's so interesting when you meet someone who has a vague idea of what their dream job might be, but that doesn't really matter because they know that regardless of what it is, it's going to make them happy all the time. You know, like it's going to make them go to bed at peace and they're going to get up in the morning full of energy and then the whole day is just going to go by like... It's a pretty solid sign of immaturity. Right, yeah, you know. <laughs> people don't, uh, you know, people don't see, you know, people don't see the, um, they don't see the the good and the bad that, that, that you know, comes in... It, a family is another one, right? So if you're in a like, I mean, you have a bunch of kids. There's a lot of kids in the house, and so um, and uh, and so uh, that's why uh, that's why we have the Blender Ground Studios. They, we have the uh, <laughs> you all have no idea which insulation <laughs> is in this room. <laughs> there you go. But uh, you know, when you have a family, right? Yeah. And you have that that relationship within a family. Mm-hmm. People outside of the family relationship will sometimes say, "Oh, it's perfect. We have this perfect idyllic." Oh man, you think it's they think it's the Wonder Years. You sit down every right. night at five o'clock. Yeah, Dad comes in, mom's in an apron. Sure, Fred the kids, Savage. The, yeah, yeah, right. You know, you got the the kids are coming out. You know, uh, right. just just barely getting done with their homework. Everyone's still dressed nice. You yep. know, oh yeah, bedtimes at eight p.m. Oh yeah, you yeah. know, you come in in the summertime when the street lights come on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Let yeah. me know how that works out for you. <laughs> well, I mean, I think the thing is, is, you know, hey, listen, you, you know, you work hard to get as close as you can. And some people are going to be closer than others. Right. <laughs> but no matter how good you do and no matter how many, you know, exactly, no matter how many home cooked meals that you can pull off or wonderful illusions that you just made there. Uh, but no matter how close you can get. All right. There's always something difficult. To it work equals with. out. I'm telling you, yeah, it, it equals really out. And when. That's, I say maturity, but I don't, I don't want to like put anyone down. And be like you're not mature, you know. If if sure. um, if maybe you're disagreeing with some of this, it's it's more. 
life experience and how much different cultures, how many different cultures you are um, exposed to. Me and you, having been exposed to sure. people who are worth millions, yes, you and I understand that that is not what it's all cracked up to be. Right. And if you get close enough to these people, they'll tell you that. That, that some, some of them tell you, I wish I had no money because it makes it more complicated. Mm. I, the, the only good statement I've ever heard from one of the millionaires that I knew very well yeah. was, he goes, all money does is make things a little easier. That's it. Yeah. They And you know what, though? What what he's not saying yeah. is he's not saying how hard that trade-off is to get it. Because, and he's not saying that, not because he's purposely omitting it. He's not saying it because he's had to live it so long. It's normal to him. Interesting. It's something to... Someone like me, I look at how much work that person did to get there and is still doing to stay there. Right. That level of stress for, no, no thank you. Sure. You're not going to go punch in at eight, clock out at five, and make a million dollars a year. That's not going to happen. Right, yeah. You will be dealing with your work at midnight, one, two, three. You're probably going to have a heart attack when you're 50. Right. It's it's not worth it. Yeah. You're selling your life for these things. Mm -hmm. Your life. Yep. It's not, it's, it ain't worth it. You know, it's interesting, too, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, doing with my, my, my business, my other, my, other, uh, my other business outside the podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the time you're struggling, and so you're always constantly looking uh, to, you know, what you can do to, to try to improve things. Yep. But when you're doing well, you know, there is that point in time you have to ask yourself, like, like, wh- like, when do I stop? Like, when does the work become too much? You right. Know? Like, is there a point? <laughs> is there a point in all this when I just don't want to work that hard? You know, mm-hmm. like I got other things like I'm going to put my into my life. Like, I just don't want to work that. Diff- I don't want to work that much. You know. Right. So, and like, where is that point? It's it's hard and it's a difficult thing to quantify and even harder to do. I think that point is a lot sooner, and by sooner I mean it's at a lot less of a dollar amount the older you get. Because that's the the more you value time and the more you see that the grass is not green on the other side of the fence. And you realize, even though I've never had a million dollars, I'm pretty sure it's going to fall into that same category. It's not going to be greener on the other side of the fence. Right. Why do you think we see a lot of these millionaires that are young, very young? Mm, mm. Because they still don't understand what they're selling. They're selling their youth. And by the time they realize it, they're into their 30s and 40s and they don't know any better. Well, you know, it's really interesting. I didn't. I, I heard this the other day, and I wasn't aware of this. It was like a new stat for me. Mm-hmm. Do you know the vast majority of Americans actually move in and out of that income bracket? I mean, actually, multiple times. Some some of them multiple times in their life. Like it's actually quite typical for someone to uh, have be have poverty in their twenties. Uh, do better in their 30s, be a millionaire in their 40s, but by the time they get to their 60s, they might have lost it all. Or uh, they may have, uh, or or perhaps they get all the way up into their 50s and they, they may live, live a middle-class lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But then by the time they turn 70, they're now in a millionaire's club and they're able to do those kind of things. Like most people, it's very rare in America to have someone that is going to be poor their entire lives and never move out of a poor bracket. Or mm-hmm. someone that is going to be a millionaire, let's say someone has a million dollars, really there's no guarantee. If you look at the t- statistics, at some point they're, they're likely to, to lose it and fall into another income bracket, which is far lower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that could be for you know a few reasons. We, we see that happen in sports um, 90% of the time. Yeah. If you talk yeah. to any of those athletes. And you've had experiences <clears throat> with that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you see it happen there. Um, but that's, that's just, 
that's the nature of going from one extreme of like, look at this job I have uh, to, well, I didn't make the team. Mm-hmm. And now I'm at Chick-fil-A because catching a football is really not a skill that many people need. <laughs> right, that many people need. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. But that's that's one reason. But the other reason is going through those different stages of life. You know, you get bored or comfortable. You take for granted where you're at. And you're like, I just, I've literally heard this before. Rich people be like, I just, I, I wish I had nothing. Or they want like a simple life, right? Yeah. Like, didn't Dave Chappelle take off to like Africa? Right? Uh, For yeah, a while. Did yeah, did he? Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. He just like, he's like, I'm just done. I'm out of here, you know? Sure. Or how many people do you hear in showbiz with all the scandals? And these are just the ones we know about. There's a lot of people in there that they don't even, they, they were brought up in, in childhood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the show business, and they don't even want to be part of it anymore. Right. And some That's of them true. have come out and said, look, here's how it really is. Right. Um, or some of them stay and publicly have problems. Look at Leanne Rimes. Yeah. You know, 15 years old, multimillionaire star. Her sure. dad was managing her. Right. That relationship is horrible. Yeah. And that's gone back and forth, but she's still stuck in that life. But you're not going to tell me every day of her life is happy. Right. I saw that when I when I met the woman, you could tell. Yeah. Like her handlers were all over her. Nope, here. You got to go here. You got to go here. You gotta, right. And it, didn't, it didn't even matter what Leanne said. It was her time. Yeah. But she wasn't. She wasn't allowed to like do anything with her own time, right? With her own time, you know, fighting over her own money. Mm-hmm. Um, ridiculous. Yeah, I think uh, they were talking. Uh, oh, as like uh, Kane West, you know. Well, I I know virtually nothing about Ka- Kanye West. Kanye West. Yeah, right. Yeah. So there you go. So Kanye West, which I I virtually know nothing of, but yep. <laughs> uh, he gave the interview recently, and he was talking, and he was talking a lot in that language. Uh, and it's always fascinating when you get these these people because they they tend to disconnect in a way, and then they talk about it in uh, they'll talk about it in stark terms. You know, mm-hmm. they'll talk about uh, they'll talk about how you know that they have the handlers and that, that and how at certain point it they just cease to become anything that they recognize. They that, almost put it in third person, like you said, they, they disconnect because it's yeah, that was a good point to make there yeah. because they. They, it's almost like they have to. Like they're they're either embarrassed of it, yeah, or like if I, it's like it's gonna stress me out to no end if I talk about this and I actually realize it's my own life. Sure, right? Yes, that's exactly (laughs) it. That's exactly it. Like you're you're listening to these interviews and then you always feel like you're on the precipice of like something (laughs) that's gonna be significant. Like you you have to pay, you have to pay attention, right? And then it kind of never comes because, and but then it's not you. It's not me. It's them. Like they, yeah. they there's some sort of thing. It, oh, it's just weird. Yeah. No, it, it, there was. I, I, I'm almost positive you didn't see this. I know you see a lot of right. stuff, but I, this is this is one of them. I may not have seen Kevin it. West or whatever you just tried to call Kanye. <laughs> okay, this is <laughs> this is one of them things where I just think it, it missed your circle. Right. Your, it's out of your purview. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but <laughs> Kevin Hart was sitting on a sofa with uh, another actress that I don't know if she just. Didn't really understand a certain things in Hollywood you don't say. And I don't know what those I think certain... I'm somewhat familiar with it. I'm oh, half, where, I'm, where he think... shushes her? I am half familiar with this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... You're going to have to bring me the rest of the way because I'm... Well, very very briefly, the interviewer asked a question. Sure. And she started to go off on like, well, yeah, I didn't. I wasn't really comfortable doing this, but then they made... And Kevin just like... And then she was like... And he was like... And gave her another like, look, like, no, be quiet. Yeah. And then, boom, subject was switched. So nobody knows what that thing is. Oh, man, those things are freaky. But it's like, what was the shush, shush, shush? Yeah. Now, Kevin Kevin Hart's a comedian, but right. that, there was nothing there that was funny. It's like, 
it's like the Will Smith slap that we've talked about so much. Yeah. Right? Like everyone's like, oh, no, Will Smith's an actor. He's a comedian. And, right, you know, sure. Chris Rock's an actor and he's a comedian. Like that was definitely staged. I'm yeah. like, bro, that was like from the get go. I was like, oh, please let this come out so these retards will stop saying this is this is not staged. Yeah. That, and guess what? Wasn't staged. Right, right. Obvious. Like, you, you think it's like. And it's because people have this idea, like, oh, Will Smith, right? Like Eminem says, you know, when he rapped, Will Smith doesn't cuss his raps to sell records. Well, I do, you know? (laughs) I'm not going to finish that verse. Sure. But, like, everyone has this, like, you know, squeaky clean Christina Aguilera better switch me chairs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Some things are not outside your purview. (laughs) 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 They let me out every once in a while. Tom Smith, the man of full... Cultural knowledge. Wow. <laughs> they let me out the asylum every once in a while. My goodness. You over here in a hoodie today and stuff? <laughs> I'm wondering where your, your oversized polos are. Laundry day? Laundry day. That's if, you right, could laundry see, day. if you could see him, this, he looks like a normal dad today. <laughs> That's right. Hey, don't even make me don't even make me say a dad joke. Oh man. Oh man, there you go. Those, those are in your wheelhouse too. That's right. Whip out the dad jokes. We already know. That's right. But yeah, everyone's got this this squeaky clean image of, of Will Smith, you know? And then like, oh no, he would never conduct himself in that way. Right. Yeah, sure. Dude, who do you think this guy is? It's true. Like, there's your narrative. There's your narrative. Yep. There you and go. He's able to do it a whole lot better because he don't have to do it through a letter like the underground. Right? No, that's true. That's true. He can, but it's true. But there it is. You right can there. take everything in this book if you if you want to. You take time to. You not only can you connect this book to modern society. Boy, it'll give you some insights into modern society that you would have never thought of before. Right. Ever. Yeah, it really does. I mean, and you can the way that you can extrapolate things. Yes. And then it creates like this. It creates like this. This uh, th- these three points, right? Because you need three points in order to exist in the center of the three points, in order to be able to draw comparisons and be able to to you know kind of draw conclusions out of it. The way that the underground man feels, the way that I feel, and what I see in the world, mm-hmm. right? And then you're kind of able to extrapolate conclusions out of that. It's it really it blows your mind. Yeah, yeah and you can do that with this book. Yep, you really can. You really can. And so the thing about narrative that uh, I think is fascinating, again, we see in this chapter, is that narrative, it doesn't lend itself much to compromise, right? If I'm going to create something and I'm going to start pretending that I'm in a situation, I'm not going to say, well, you know, I was in a conversation with, uh, say, Steve, and and it's a fake conversation, but I got dominated, and then this happened or whatever. You know, usually it's going to be one way or the other, right? Yeah. So for the underground man... uh, you know, so it, like, for example, if I'm saying a narrative, I'm not going to say, you know, I won, but I lost. There was pluses and minuses because that's real life, right? You know, like if you're in a real relationship, there might be good times and bad times. You know, there are times when you're the hammer, then times when you're the nail. Uh, you know, if you're if you're trying to make your way in the world, you have times of plenty and times when things aren't so good. But in a narrative, it's always one thing or another. And so for the underground man... For the underground man, all these narratives are either either all in or all out. Well, yeah. So he already he goes into something with a predetermined uh, fact at the end of how everything is. So, like you said, there's no room for compromise. Yeah, like when he he's going out with Zerkoff and the boys, he he ends up at the beginning. He wants he 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 imagines he's going to dominate them. You know, he's gonna he's gonna charm them. 
and he's going to uh, you know he's gonna he's gonna charm Zerkoff and and then he imagines that Zerkoff is gonna is uh, that Zerkoff is gonna um, he's gonna fall at his feet and he's gonna you know you know you know beg him for his friendship and then it kind of turns around that the by the end of it he's thinking he's gonna slap Zerkoff he's gonna fight him and then Zerkoff is gonna throw him out a window or he's gonna do something to him uh, and so and then with this letter. The underground man like convinces himself like oh you know like I have this such a clever letter like he's proud of it he reads it and he says man this this letter is so good mm-hmm. and he says and and then he he just says man these the, everything's great you know that this is actually what happened and you know I, he feels aristocratic mm-hmm. yeah and but before all of these events take place though he always acknowledges that he knows what the other side is. The problem is he doesn't leave himself open to both opportunities while he's there or being, oh, I should say, leave himself open to being okay mm. with both of the outcomes. Yeah, right. You know? No, at no point, I think, does he ever do this. No. Though he knows those are possibilities. Well, he does know their possibilities, but he can accept one or the other, but never in the middle or never, you know, never, never to consider both. You know, mm-hmm. look at his um mm-hmm. w- with Lisa, right? Mm-hmm. See, the thing is, is, the underground man, he has there's no concept of a relationship outside of total domination. Yeah, right, right. Like, uh, like for example, um, oh, we see uh, uh we, all the relationships we've seen so far, like pretty much all of them. Uh, the uh, we have um, the policeman. Mm-hmm. Right, so the policeman, uh, he uh, he wants to he want he wants to force the policeman to acknowledge him. You know, he feels like he feels when he goes into the to to the 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 the, the pool, he wants to see the the window that he's dominated by the policeman, and so the only reaction is to dominate the policeman. Uh, you know, we see with his boss, with Anton, with Antoine, he goes over to his house because he wants to be he wants to be acknowledged and respected. But mm-hmm. then, you know, he he can't he he can't get the upper hand in the conversation, so he doesn't say anything at all. He just sits there all day and doesn't say a word. Right. You know. Um, so the uh, the um, and then even in this chapter, right in this chapter, he, he has this urge to dominate okay so like and we'll talk about with the 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 servant at the end of the chapter he wants to dominate the servant but with lisa Mm -hmm. there's there's two he starts off he starts off fretting right like he starts off on the one end Mm -hmm. because he's fretting he says well lisa's gonna come she's gonna open the door find me out yeah she's gonna find me out man she's gonna see the sofa with the stuffing sticking out of it (laughs) she's gonna see me in my pajamas or full of holes she's gonna see this place stinks like stinks the high heaven like i I, like that you'll see that this is smells is dirty and uh, you know, I live in a, 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 a underground apartment, you know. And then he's gonna, and he, and he starts to worry. And then he's like, he's, you know, Lisa in this situation, she has every advantage. You know, like he he imagines her laughing or being aghast, or uh, you know, or or you know. So she she has all the power. And the underground man is is he he's stripped of everything, power, dignity, logic. Education, anything, none of it matters. It, he is honesty, <laughs> honesty, because <laughs> he, he just figured out that no doubt, yeah. yeah. So he has nothing, and she is she's like this judge yeah. that it, that that because she's the one that's honest. She has this, you know, because with her pox, she has this honest uh, 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 emotional reaction where the underground man is all fake, and he's going to be found out. Mm-hmm. So he worries about this to the point where he almost drives himself crazy, mm-hmm. but then. He ends up like any 
man of consciousness, right? He ends up forming another narrative. And this narrative is like the exact same narrative. It's just that it's turned upside down. Yep. Right? Yep. So, uh, uh, you know, she comes over and, you know, he 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 educates her, right? He sits her down and he gives her a book and he's teaching her how to read and how to, you know, learn everything. And then at some point she falls prostate before him. And, right, you know, yeah. Begs him for his love, you know. Right. Yeah. And then they live happily ever after. Yeah. It's they like, they travel, right? Don't they? Yeah. Like they go to Europe and America and all these other places. But and... but only after she's you know subservient to him. Exactly. But that's right. But it's like this thing of total mm-hmm. domination, like submission. Like she she submitted to the point where he is like he's everything. He calls himself her savior. You know? Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like he puts himself in this position where he's like. You you know, he's like, I, you know, I, I, I was the savior. And, and then he even puts it back on her, you know, like, mm-hmm. I think at one point in the book, he says, oh, I, I would have reached out to you with this love, but I just didn't, I didn't want to manipulate you. I had to wait for you to fall, you know, just to prostrate yourself for me, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> and all these things. And, you know, all of this stuff stems from, I found a, an interesting sentence in here that stood out to me yeah it says something was not dead within me in the depths of my heart and conscience Mm. it would not die and it showed itself in acute depression and this is right in the very beginning of the chapter where he's where he says this and i i almost got the impression that it was like when he went out he was hoping to like scratch an itch satisfy a a need within him you know yeah that's right and it didn't get satisfied and that's what didn't go away. Like he right. thought everything was going to be a certain way. And when it didn't go that way, now he's right back to where he was. And that yeah. was the emotion that I felt when, uh, that, uh, that he had that caused him to go into acute depression. Yeah. Yeah. Like things didn't quite go. He, he kind of has this loose strand because normally when he goes out, everything exists. Everything for him is in a dream world. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like, he's in the underground, and he's swimming in this dream world, but there's nothing outside of his person that's going to come in and interrupt that. No. And he realizes that with Lisa, who is now in possession of his address, like, there's, like, this constant threat now. Yeah. Right? Now, he's exposed. Yeah. Whereas before he went out, after everybody was out of work, and so even though everyone else was doing different things to him, it was the exact same thing, mm-hmm. and he kind of looked at them as like huh, peasants getting out of work, right? Yeah, this that's tired right. Look on their face and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he could walk out and say nothing and still feel like he had power over every single person. That's right. And then go right back to his basement. Yep, exactly. You know? Yep. As long as nobody said anything to him and he didn't say anything to anybody else, right? And the status quo stayed the same, you know. Yep, you got it. And uh, he was good to go. That's right. No one knew his address. No one was following home. No one had any reason to. As long as he didn't speak to him. Right. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. I got I to gotta be totally honest with you. I just described my life. <laughs> I literally did. I'm telling you. Oh, man. I tell like, you. I'm like, it's just because every time I leave my house, I got to deal with idiots. It, it, don't tell me someone out there is not like, oh, yep, no, that's not me. Yeah, right. Right. I guarantee you go home right. and you... You have probably flipped off three people in traffic. Hey, you've cursed out at least five others. Right there, you go. You know, you were sure. Remember, he brought up the the office space guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Day. That's right. The other day, I did. We were talking about that, right? Yeah. In the office space. Yeah. Yeah. The beginning, he rolls up. He's listening yeah, yeah. to some rap music. Right, he's like, right. actually, you know what? Let me roll the window. Right. And, uh, turn this down. Right. Let me turn this right and down. And roll ten and right two. 
<laughs> you know what? I'm just Mr. Nice Citizen. That's, Forget me. You got it. You know? That's right. That's the whole not being authentic. Like, it oh, is. There's a narrative I'm supposed to fit into, and I'm not fitting into it. Let me go back. Right. There Whoop. it is. Yep. <laughs> exactly. There it is. Man, forget that. I'd, I'd have turned it up and rolled my window down further. Right. I'd open the door maybe. Just honestly, just to pull myself out of thinking that because yeah. we are trained little mice to yeah. just be in our stupid little hamster wheel. Well, you know, we get in so many patterns, right, that we can't break out of. And so, you know, this is one thing in the book that Dostoevsky does. He sees these patterns, but mm-hmm. he, he the underground man is like this exaggeration, right? Like he says, okay, we're going to take this all the way through to its final conclusion. Like mm-hmm. we're going to logically, we're just going to take it all the way. Not part of the way, not till you're 30, not till you feel, but all the way, the whole thing. Let's see where living this gets you. Yeah, and then you say, let's write it down and see what this full experience looks like when we put it to So paper. far it sucks. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, man. It's intense, man. I don't man. like it. <laughs> I mean, it's intense. I mean, the underground man must be exhausted at the end of the day. I mean, there's a lot going on. Yeah, this is the first fictional character to be sick of being in a book. <laughs> This dude has been brought to life. Right, man. Wow. It's so true. Woo. And it's just there's so much going on here. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he just, he's in this, he's in this whole, like, there's this whole fantasy. Like, it's just so funny because he gets caught up in his own fantasies. Like, that's why he runs away when Lisa finally comes. Mm-hmm. Right at the end of the chapter. So at the end of the chapter, we have Lisa that finally comes and gets there. And then he runs into his bedroom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because the physical presence of Lisa, right? There's two things that really is interesting. The physical presence of Lisa, when she physically comes there, he, he freaks and he runs into his bedroom and he shuts the door. Because for the underground man, there is only one possible reality that can exist. And like, and, 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 and he, 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 and he's about to have to face it. Yeah, right. Exactly. But he's been ruminating over it. He's been overthinking it. For two years now. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's been living this nightmare for two years, and now all of a sudden it's right in front of him. And he can't just, like, to say, okay, you can say, hi, Lisa, and then see what happens. Like, this is beyond the capability of the underground man. Like, nope. he, he does not have this capability. Like, this is not a thing. New. No. You know, it's just, it's not a thing. He's so, going to force his, his narrative to be lived out. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. And it's interesting that we see that in the relationship with his servant, right? Hmm. Because in the servant, it, it, there are two possibilities, right? right? The one possibility is that he keeps the money and the servant has to beg, you know. Yeah, he to, wants the servant to say something to him first. He's just kind of like sitting there like an immature right. dude, like, nope. Right. I know I know, I own the money, but well, it's like yeah. I don't feel any power if I just go over and give it to no him. No doubt. It's like a know? toddler. They won't put, away the, put, put their toys away, you yeah. know. <laughs> like, you know put, put the toy away. Go ahead. You know? Count to three. Yeah, right. Uh, and I'll do it when you say four. There you go. <laughs> Exactly. That's yeah. exactly it. Right. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. And so, you know, but he's he wants that he wants him to beg for the money. Uh-huh. But then when he refuses to beg for the money, and he says he says uh, he says, "Well, I could call the police on you if I want." Right. Yeah. What does the underground man do? He, he tells him to do it. Yeah, he does. He goes from zero to you call the police on me right now. Right. I mean, he goes. There's like, there's no point. There's there's no point in between. But he, he he even recognized how ridiculous that was. You know, he's like, and who, who calls the police on themselves, you know, or who, something like that? Oh, yeah, right. No, it's true. He does. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, who calls the police on themselves, right? right? But then he he's just, he's he has to live in those two extremes, right? Like, I will either have you grovel, and if, if you won't grovel, then 
I'll grovel. You watch me grovel, you know, and then it'll be all, you know, your fault or or whatever. I, you know, but th- these narratives that he exists in his mind, you know, it's all got to be it's all or nothing, right? Yeah, he almost met his match with that servant, though. He kind of did. He, he kind of did. But I mean, it's kind of like how can we like how can the servant deal with it? I mean, he's just that's a lot to put up with. Oh, he he sits down and sews at one point. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. It kind of reminds me. It's like these people that want, you know, they want the end of fossil fuels, and then when they don't get what they want, they 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 glue themselves to the Mona Lisa and all this stuff. <laughs> you know, like uh, you know, like all this. Like, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not trying to make a judgment. chain myself to this tree. You yeah, know, no, they do. You know, like, and I, I'm not trying to make a judgment on these things, but you know, like, that's just. You know, people say, well, we need to end fossil fuels. Like, can, this can happen in a decade, like 50 years, like what, maybe, you know? Like, it's never going to happen. But then people want it to happen in a day, and when it doesn't happen in a day, pretty soon, you know, they're, they're you know, they're, 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 they're tar and feathering themselves, you know, to a lamppost or something. And even when their narrative goes horribly wrong. Right. We just keep going with it. Yeah, no, that's Plowing right. ahead in total ignorance. Like, right. we're having rolling blackouts in California. Yeah, that's right. Let's shut down another power plant. Right, yeah. What? It's true, right? <laughs> Are you serious? No, I know. And even, even Greta Thunberg doesn't want to, uh, she doesn't want to get rid of the nuclear power plant now. <laughs> I saw that the other day. She was, uh, she says, uh, it says, uh, Greta tells German, uh, tells German uh, chancellor or something, you know, says, uh, tells the German uh, parliament, uh, not so fast. Don't get rid of the nuclear power plant so fast. You know, even she doesn't want to freeze to death. Thank God we have Greta Thunberg around to figure out what we need. Man, golly, are you serious right now? I know. The I... first time she opened her mouth was a kid like twelve. I think so. I yeah. I don't even pay attention to my twelve year old. Who is? <laughs> How did this kid make it on the world stage? Right. I don't even remember. I right. just remember all of a sudden one day this 12-year-old kid's opinion mattered. Right. No, I know. And then you get all these odd, and again, like a narrative. We live in a narrative world, right? I remember one time I saw a picture of Greta, and it was this picture, and um, it was a, it was pretty heavily circulated. I saw it in a couple different places, and it was a picture of her at a train station. And um, she had uh, she'd gotten to the train station, and something had happened with the train, so she wasn't able to take the train that she wanted to take. Mm. So she ended up uh, sitting in squalor for like a day, you know. So she ended up sitting and like and, and just like hanging out in squalor for a day. Mm. And all these people had come and taken pictures, and then they're all in the newspaper, and it was all this big deal. And there was nothing that really happened, but it's like this narrative, like, oh look, we have a you know, Greta Thunberg sits in squalor for hours, like, well, like not why or why anybody should care or how it affects anything for anybody. Just that it's this person doing it. Yeah, and so we see we see so much, you know, like um, Associated Press does this a lot. Like Associated Press has gone from reporting the news to basically reporting like how people on social media, MSN does this as well. <laughs> Like how they just talk about how people on social media react. They'll say, uh, you know, they'll say, they'll say, uh, you know, they'll say, uh, uh, they'll say, Steve Hot passes gas. You know, people on social media outraged. You know, like, like, <laughs> uh, what in the world? Like, does it even matter? That's cheap journalism. <laughs> well, boy, I tell you, right? Uh, right. I mean, <laughs> is I don't is that is that plagiarism? <laughs> <laughs> right, maybe, maybe. Oh yeah. So we just right. we live in this narrative world, and but the the underground man can't handle this narrative. Like that's the only thing he knows. So when he sees Lisa, he flees into his bedroom, right? And uh, and, and then the the only way that he can calm down, right? Like he actually flirts with this something reasonable at one point or another. He actually flirts with going to see her, 
or he flirts with the idea of maybe, um, you know, trying to better his life. Uh, but this is only momentary, right? Mm-hmm. Like his go-to coping mechanism is to form this narrative of total, like sh- she's just, you know, and this is the weird thing, right? And this is the odd thing. Mm-hmm. that the, He embraces this narrative of that he's going to educate her, he's going to treat her well, he's going to give her personal attention, and then she's going to fall in love. Yeah. Like here's the kicker. All these things can happen in real life. Right? I'm I'm not saying that this is what should happen or what will happen or what could have happened. It's a possibility. But yeah, I mean like he can go knock on her door and say, "Hey, I've got a book. Can you read? Would you like to sit down and learn how to read?" I mean, that takes Right. A very that's almost no effort and almost no risk reward considering you're in a city like Petersburg where there's a bunch of people there. Yeah. So there's no risk, no reward to it, and he could easily do that. Mm-hmm. And yet, that he he seems as far away from that as the east is to the west. <laughs> you know, is but he's got this whole narrative where all of this happens, and he sees so much good come out of it. And yet, it's nothing but narrative. And the only purpose for the narrative is not love, it's not stability, it's not a future. All it is meant is just some sort of elevated distraction from from what he fears the most. Mm-hmm. You know, which is her showing up at the front door. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So it's just like it's, it's he's fearful, he's living in this narrative world, right? Living in his own mind, this constant dream world, and then everything is polemic. Everything is is either one thing or the other. Well, I think it always goes back to, I, th- I think his default, even though he, even though his narratives are always built up to put him in the position of power. I think the reason that his other side of the coin sure. extreme is that's honestly his default. That's where he pretty much knows it's going to end up. And that's his comfort zone. That's where he lives every day is mm. in that comfort zone. Is If I can get to that other extreme, they'll reject me entirely and I won't even have to try. They'll be like every other person that's out at seven o'clock at night when I go out Yeah, and I won't have to care because they won't approach me at all. I won't have any of these awkward interactions. I won't have to make up excuses of why I'm not going somewhere. Right. It's just, I'll just make them my enemy and then it'll be done with. Yeah, yeah. He always gets to like some, he always kind of gets almost to that that primary. We talked about that before in the part one, how we have the primary causes, like first level, second level, third level causes. Yeah. The closer he gets to these first level causes, to these determinations, right? The closer he gets to something that's real, that is inescapable, then he turns around and he he runs away from right. it. Right. You know, it's almost like it's like um, it's like when you you know again talking about toddlers, where you have a toddler, a little, a little kid, and they come up to you and they almost touch you, and then you look down at them and they return and run away. Yeah, like if if it's not their total decision. No, yeah, exactly. Mind. Right, and then they run back and want to do it again. Then they run away. So the underground man is always kind of going from one extreme to the other. Like he's. He's bent on making a decision until he gets to the point of the decision. And then everything changes. Like, in, a, in everything changes. And then he's... He, and it, it, it. So, and then it's always... He's always relying on his ability to kind of weave, like, this narrative and, 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 and embrace this kind of this, this fakeness. Yeah, well, that gets him through because he doesn't have to have many interactions with the world. He can, yeah, he can get right. himself out of the 
minimal interactions that he's had. You're right. You're right. No, he can. And, you know, it's his way of dealing with the world, of dealing with the strife, of dealing with the humiliation. It's one of those things where if you're like a man of consciousness, the underground man is this man of consciousness. And so unlike the man of action who has to do stuff, and then live with the consequences. The underground man, he, he doesn't have to do that. He can just sit in his apartment and he can have all the consequences listed out right in front of him. Like, he doesn't have to do this stuff. He says, well, if I do ABC, then this is what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Right? Here's what's going to happen. He knows, right? And so why would he bother to go out and then engage yeah. all of these things like <laughs> feelings and actions and consequences when he can just sit there in his apartment and ruminate? Yeah, why, why live out the pain when I already know what's, <laughs> that, it, that it's coming? If I can predict it, then I can avoid it. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, and I think a lot, and it just the pace of information in our modern age, we have so much information that comes at us so quickly, and we are able to experience so many variations on uh, a normal human personality and mm-hmm. on normal human intera- interactions mm-hmm. that people can now they can surround themselves with kind of like this confirmation bias bubble, and then they can just project everything onto the world. You know, like for example, they'll say, "Well." You know, they'll say, well, I can engage a, you know, a Democrat might say, I can engage a Republican, but then all these things would happen, right? Yeah. yeah. Or, or vice versa. Yeah. And then you get to that point where you're not actually sitting down with someone and then you're, you're, you're working through. Sitting down with yourself. Yeah. You know, you're just sitting down with yourself <laughs> and, you're, and, 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 and you're saying, you know, and you're sitting down with yourself and then, you know, you have this. You have a predisposed notion to just how it's going to go. Exactly. But exactly, you do. And, and then you have all these narratives. And so then you end up kind of like, you kind of end up in, 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 in kind of underground, right? Or we would say, well, underground, right? right. You, you end up in this area where you're not, you're not communal. You're not living life. And, you're, you, you know, you're not living your own life, all right? Let, let's face it. If you're sitting on social media and you're arguing about universal health care for all people, you're not really doing all that much to worry about the health of the people in your community or household or your family or even in your state, nope. right? And you can't have any effect on that. I mean, right? If if you and I were to sit here and have an hour conversation that was uh, that we we were gonna we were gonna go back and we were gonna debate, uh, you know, we were gonna debate uh, the death penalty, right? Yep. Now that could be an engaging hour, and you and I could probably we could have the best conversation ever. Man, we really make could the best points, you know. And I could you could make the best points that would just stop me cold, and I, I could have elevated rhetoric that would drive you to tears, yep. you know. But at the end of the day, neither one of us is at the high school trying to work with young people to try to get them out of a cycle of violence and trying to give them better alternatives. That's right. Right? 100%. 100%. So, you know, it doesn't really matter how much elevated language that we have or how many great points that we can we can come up with. It really isn't making a lick of difference. All we're doing is we're kind of like Caligula dancing as Rome burns. You know? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Right, you know, pretty much. And so uh, this is such a danger in, 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 in what we do as a society and such a danger uh, for us as a people uh, and that, you know, it. we can see that, boy, you know, you, you, we're not going to flourish, you know, if we're just going to be a, a, a land of, of underground people, you know. Yeah, if everybody just lives in the underground, there's really, you're not going to go anywhere. That's it, man. You got to get underground. out. You got you to put it into action. And I think the Bible tells us faith without works yeah, there is you go. dead. Yeah, that, you got it. So, yeah, you got to you got to learn those principles just like we learn the principles from society and and what we're supposed to do, right? Yep. 
and then you apply them, you know, or, or even if it's not supposed to, right? Because yep. that's, <clears throat> that's being pretty uh, objective. Mm-hmm. We all have our own opinions. We all have our own beliefs. Um, so if you go through the critical thinking process and you've come to a conclusion and you want to advocate for that conclusion, again, don't sit in an echo chamber and just talk to yourself about it. Right. Try to do something about it. Yeah. Be open to both, you know, possibilities and the middle. Sure. Un- unlike the underground man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Otherwise, you may as well just keep it to yourself. Right. Right. Because it's not going anywhere. It's pointless. Mm-hmm. You're just stressing yourself out about yeah. it like this guy's doing. Yeah, you know, and you get this 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 rumination, you know, it, it's interesting. You see the dichotomy in part number one, that the man of action is this stupid brute who can't barely get out of his own way and, you know, never does anything that's worth talking about or doing. And then the man of consciousness is like this elevated rhetoric and is doing these amazing things. And like, there's just, there's just, you know, rainbow farts shooting colors everywhere. And it's just so fabulous. And it's, 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 it's like this, it's like fireworks every day. Right. (laughs) But then when we see it lived out in real life, you know, like nothing gets done, you know, like the underground man's like this paranoid guy and he can barely get, he, he can't even, he can't even affect a real relationship, much less affect anything real in the world. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, the, and, and rather these brutes, you know, like Zerkoff, you know, they're getting promoted. And he has to lie to try to get to that. Like uh, the underground man, he, he can't even stay with his own lane, right? He, he, can't, he can't just be satisfied in having to sit in the basement and say, well, I'm the smartest guy in the room. Even right. yeah, even that doesn't satisfy no, him. No, exactly. That doesn't. It doesn't even come close to satisfying. Now, if him. It, if it did satisfy him, if that's authentically him, right? Good for him. Sure. You know, hey, I'm happy but for he's you. He's got to write the letter, you know, and he's got to yeah. tell all oh, my childhood friend Zerkoff, you know, he's just a devilish rogue, you know, and we had to have some more drinks, and oh, that's why I need all this money, and you know, so he's. You know, he he's pining over Zerkov, but yet the previous chapter, I mean, he's getting ready to fight him and he despises him. And and then at the same time, he doesn't want to toast him, except if he can toast him himself. What do you think he's scared of? The underground man? Yeah. Why do, why doesn't he just go out and live this stuff at some point? Uh, finality. Uh, you know, I think it's finality. That's why in part number one, you know, we see when the underground man loses himself in uh, when he loses himself in his dreams, right? Because he's always fearful, okay? He always, he always, he, he doesn't have the ability to, to have this real experience. So he has this real experience and then he's wounded. And so then he goes back to the underground and then the, because he's wounded. And yet in the underground, he loses himself in this world of dreams. And eventually, the world of dreams becomes so disconnected to the real experience that he is able to... He, it's not just about resentment and bitterness and spitefulness and hatred and about revenge. He's able to get to that spot where he, he, he loves people. You know, the underground man can love people in the abstract. Yeah. I mean, he can love humanity. I mean, probably no one no one in Petersburg can love humanity like the underground man can, you know? So he, he gets this point where he loves humanity so much and he has so much to give and he has so much that he that that, that he can receive. There's so much that he wants that he needs to to, to, to be with people again. You know, he needs that concrete, but then he, he he's not willing to you know, when he gets there, everything is narrative, you know, he, he can't so the, the it's the finality. You talk about this a lot, right? When you talk about your experience in the military and how you say, well, I'm going to be a certain way, and if people like it, they like it. And if they don't like it, they don't like it. 
right? Yeah. And so, you know, you get to this spot. Well, that, I think a lot of that comes from, that a lot of that comes from reaching a point of finality, that first principle, right? Um, so, for example, so uh, life and death, being in the military, being deployed overseas, um, being in a life and death environment, uh, you know, uh, the Bible, the Word of God, right? The living, breathing Word of God. Mm. Uh, and so we have, you know, this is, uh, uh, you know, this, uh, we have the Word of God for us and that gives us these first principles, all right? That tells us how we are to ground ourselves. Yep. Uh, you know, um, we have the Holy Spirit. So we have these, these are all things that ground us and these are first principles that guide us and they take away that fear. You know, they take away that fear. Yep. So, you know, we don't need to be a ping pong ball bouncing everywhere, but, you know, we can be grounded, all right? Even if we're good at it or we're not good at it and we succeed or we fail, we can be grounded, or right? Like, Those, or like it or don't. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it or don't, but there is a grounding there. And when you're not, you're just all over the place. One chapter, the underground man, is alone. He's been alone for years. He loves humanity so much it brings him to tears, and he wants to bring the love of God to people. He wants to he wants to feel the love of people. And then the next chapter, he's out with real people, and he can't stand these people. I mean, we should probably read what he has to say about his own servant. You know, I mean, he says he says I I, I hated him. I I, I he says uh. It was a good thing, in fact, that Apollon distracted my attention at that time by his rudeness. He drove me beyond all patience. He was the bane of my life, the curse laid upon me by providence. We had been squabbling continually for years, and I hated him. My God, how I hated him. I believe I had never hated anyone in my life as I hated him, especially at some moments. He was an elderly, dignified man who worked part of his time as a tailor. But for some unknown reason, he despised me beyond all measure. How does he know, you know? And looked yeah. down upon me insufferably. Though, indeed, he looked down upon everyone, simply to glance at that flaxen, smoothly brushed head, at the turf of hair he combed up on his forehead and oiled with sunflower oil, at that dignified mouth compressed in the shape of letter V, made one feel one was confronting a man who never doubted of himself. Right? Which it goes to explain why the underground man despises him so much, why he hates him. See, he hates him because he looks at him and he sees certainty. You know, and, and, and he sees certainty. Oh, you know, you're going to take my rubles and not do any work. You're just going to sit there and purse your lips at me and do, you know, do all that. So he sees that certainty. He can't stand it. He can't handle it. He built up his own narrative about the guy. There you go. Yep, yeah. exactly. And part of it, too, is probably just having someone around that it's like, uh, like, I need you around, but I prefer to be alone. Right. Yeah, right. You know? So I don't have to have these narratives because I'm going to overthink you just being here. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And he does it. I mean, for years, and he builds them up. So, you know, when, when he's in these relationships, he hates people. I mean, he gets out, then he can't. And so then he realizes, he's like, because he goes out because he loves. I love humanity so much. Oh, I just want to, I, I want to, I want to show God. I know God loves me. I want to show people that. And then he gets out. And then when he's with people, he can't. He can't handle it. And then he despises people. And so then he retreats, and he has to get back to that narrative. You see, it's all the narrative and the stark reality. Live with narrative. Hate the people. Retreat to reality. There's no grounding, right? That first principle. That first principle is 
that man of action. The man of action knows what to do. He can get justice because he knows right and wrong, right? The course of a day. What is the right thing to do in the situation? The man of action has a pretty good idea. You know, at, at the very least, he knows that if he takes an action, there will be a consequence. You know, he'll say, well, I think today is the day I'm going to go to see Lisa and I'm going to knock on her door and I'm going to tell her that uh, uh, I, 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 you know, and, and he's going to make a decision. You could say, I'm going to tell her that I'm really uh, a messed up guy and I really don't want her to visit me and I'm going to leave and insult her and leave. And then he would have to deal with that consequence. Or maybe he knocks on her door and says, hey, I would like to teach you how to read and I'd like to travel with you and I'd like to be able to talk with you and this. And, you know, maybe that would have a consequence. But this whole this whole idea of actions and consequences and accountability, this is like lost on the underground man. Right. I mean, it's either I'm stuck in my apartment for two to three to four years and I don't really leave the place and I just love people so much. I can't stand it. There are tears in my eyes. Or, you know, he's with the guy. He says he's the bane of my existence. Providence. You know, I hate this man so much, you know, or I hate these people so much. And then he can't. So he's just going back and forth between narratives and he doesn't even know what's real. Yeah, there's no moderation there at all. No, none. I. It's interesting though. He's backed into a corner. He is I think, now. I think literally. <laughs> I think now he is. Yeah, he's in his bedroom, and there's Lisa at the front door. And then you see how the chapter ended. Yeah, the servant standing there, like with a, I can't sarcastically or whatever, staring at him wouldn't go. He's like, hmm. Right. Yeah. But remember the clock though. Remember what the clock did? Yeah, it was whirring and wheezing. I don't know why it says that. It did, but it whirred and wheezed. At seven. Seven. Right at seven. There it was. Hey, look, it's just like you imagined. <laughs> yeah, right there you go. That's right. Right at seven o'clock. And so this fear, you know, the underground man, I mean, he must be losing his mind. Hey, he's had 15 years to prepare for this. He there is. you go. Right there you go. <laughs> he should be ready. There you go. And even that one, you see that, that one, that stark face, you remember like the authentic, you know, because it's really interesting. And, you know, before, before we go ahead and wrap up, there's a really interesting thought here. Yeah. The underground man's in the dark, right? He's delivering this soliloquy like in the dark because it's two o'clock in the morning and there's no candlelight and he can't see Lisa. So he's like, he's just kind of throwing out this narrative. He's got all this literature in his mind and he's got all these stories from books and it's all flowing out in the dark. Yeah. And then at this one point in time, right, when the, he gets the match and they light the match. He sees that authentic look on her face. At that very moment, he sees exactly the result of his words on her face. And man, it haunts him. It sticks with him forever. Yep. That's, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. He was able to do it in the dark or underground. He was uh, able there to you go. say everything underground. There or it is. You got to say it to somebody's face and watch the reality of it. Right. Eesh. You got it. There it is. Yeah, well, rubber rubber has met the road. <laughs> That's right. Rubber has met the road. You got it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, what a uh, good time that was. Uh, maybe not for the underground man, but certainly for us. Hope it was for you as well. We will be back on the Blunderground Railroad as we try to go from ignorance to knowledge. See you next time. Thank you for joining Tom and Steve on the Blunderground Railroad. Join us next time as we seek to travel from ignorance to knowledge. And check out their other podcasts, Notes from Blunderground and the Digital Blunderground. See you next time.